Welcome to Paradox Jukebox, an unconventional podcast for the unconventional music lover, brought to you by Music on the Move Studios, a woman-led company working to help musicians move their careers forward through education and live events. I am your host, Katie Thompson. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I have a super fun episode for you. My friend, Travis Bolin, who is a blues artist out of Nashville, Tennessee, graciously agreed to come onto the show and talk about all things blues and living in his converted bus that he's been working on. He actually started that project through COVID and he's going to tell you all about it. But I really love Travis. He's a super cool guy and his music is incredible. One of the first times that I ever saw Travis perform was actually down in Florida at the Venice Blues Festival. And I was lucky enough that I actually was playing bass that weekend on stage with Meg Williams and Jenny Teeter. And we got to hang out with Travis and he was just super cool. And that was just my first encounter with him. And so I just decided, you know what, I have to have him on the show so that he can talk about his incredible music. And he's getting ready to release more new music, which I'm very, very excited about. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and just dive into this episode with you. But before Travis starts telling you about his story, I want to play a song off of his album Secundus called Slow Cooker Man. It's the last track on the album and I just love this track. It's a lot of fun and I hope you guys enjoy it. So here is Travis Bolin and Slow Cooker Man. Welcome, everybody, to Paradox Jukebox. I'm your host, Katie Thompson, and with me today is Travis Bolin, blues man from Nashville, Tennessee, originally Aurora, Indiana. Travis, man, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's good to be here. It is a pleasure. So you and I, we go we go kind of like back to 2018 when we met at the Venice Blues Festival when I was playing bass for Mig Williams and Jenny Teeter. Yeah, you play everything, so, you know. I do, <laughs> I do you can, yeah. You can spot you anywhere jumping in on something. It's true. So. I, I guess I have ADD. I just, I, well, I just want to do everything. I'm with you on that. <laughs> All right, man. So, uh, so I want everybody to know where you're sitting right now. Where are you? I'm, I'm in Nashville near uh, Old Hickory Village, Old Hickory Lake, and I'm actually 
sitting in the 1979 Winnebago that I spent pretty much most of the peak of the pandemic restoring uh, engine outside, inside, you name it. And uh, yeah, I'm setting in it right now. Uh, it's a nice little creative spot. I still got some transmission work to do and back brake work to do. But whenever you restore something like this, I mean, you can't really ever put a time frame on it, but it's right. it's definitely pretty cool inside and out. So It is. I've watched your, your Facebook posts. So I'll put links in the show notes for your Facebook so everybody can go and see the videos of your restoration project. It's, it's awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's... I. I don't know if I should suggest anybody to do it or not. I mean, if you've got the time, because, <laughs> you know, you either you either go out and buy one new <clears throat> and you spend X amount of money or you find one that just needs some attention because there's plenty of them because a lot of people buy these things when they're like, hey, we're we're getting older, we're going to retire, we're going to go see the world. And then they get a little bit too old sometimes and they, right. they're parked. And then it allows us creative types to come in here and, you know, you could either, uh, the things I've learned about how a house works on wheels with an engine and this, that, and a third, it's like, I, I, I couldn't go to school for that, you know, with what <laughs> I, what I paid. And I mean, I traveled all over the place going and finding parts for this thing. And it was, it's been an adventure for sure. <laughs> So, uh, do you plan once you once you get the transmission and the brakes fixed? Like, is it going to be your road warrior? That was going to be the plan. I mean, it was it, the idea was to hey, if we're going to be if I'm going to be in this vicinity for a week, why not kind of park it in a central location and then we have it or something of that nature? And there's certain areas of the world that I've spent a lot of time in where I'm like. I could almost just go take it there and leave it there <laughs> and, you know, and always have a, a spot to, to, to crash there. And it was kind of just like, uh, my main thing was, yeah, to have, you know, what it is. It's a, it's a house on wheels. I'm, I spent a lot of time on the road. Um, but the idea of being able to make it like personalized and kind of customized. And one thing I like to do is upcycle and recycle. And there's a lot of different things, you know, it's like, all the tile in here has a, a flow, like from the bathroom, kitchen to like living room area. But it was all pieces that I found from like a reclaimed place or, wow. you know, it was like stuff. It was, you know, it was all trying to be on a budget, you know, and recycle. And because, you know, this set in somebody's yard for, you know, who knows how long i mean i only had fifteen thousand miles i got a map on the on the back wall that i framed in from like 1975 it's got all the states the thing had been to it only had been to like six states wow so it, it's it's pretty cool and i it's, it's pretty interesting how they make these things so much smaller mm -hmm. to be a house but it's just like a house it's just everything is so much smaller it's very similar to how like marine stuff works like boats and houseboats but Anyways, enough about that. That's another podcast, I think. <laughs> yeah, it probably is another podcast. But you yeah. know, for musicians <laughs> who are considering, you know, doing the same and getting a house on wheels, I mean, if they go to your Facebook page, they'll at least see what they're in for. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna work on one and restore it, yeah, that's one. Yeah, you'll learn a few things <sighs> for sure. All right, man. So I want to 
kind of let's go back to your origins in Aurora, Indiana, and you know how your career started pr- to progress. So I, I saw, you know, from a few things that I read that like you performed at um, like Cedar Point. You sang the national anthem for uh, like I think it was the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I didn't really even know I had any kind of music ability most of my you know, childhood or anything like that. There was music was always around. Um, and, you know, people could kind of carry a tune. We'd go to our, our family reunions and, you know, there'd be like a couple of cousins picking on the banjo, like playing bluegrass and stuff. And, uh, but I never really had any kind of desire until I had, a I had transferred schools in like third grade. I don't, it might've been what, 10 or 11 or something like that. No, I can't, I can't even remember what, how old I was, Um, but I had my first like music class at school. It was the first time I'd ever experienced that. And the teacher really took a liking to me. And I was, I've always been kind of tall and I was, she always put me in the front and I always thought that was strange, but because I could sing. And when we would sing, she's like, you you know, I want your voice in the front and that, you know, that was really a, a kind of a new thing for me. And then she, she had given me uh, some documentation. She said, I need you to take this to your parents. It's very important. It was an audition for the Cincinnati Boys Choir, oh, wow. which, you know, that's a very historical thing in Cincinnati and in Ohio. And um, I, I, with them, I I'd went and auditioned and, you know, was accepted. And I sang at like Cincinnati Music Hall, Reds Games, a number of really like cool um, cathedrals and things all over Ohio. And, uh, that was a really cool thing. Um, we never, one thing I thought was unusual about that, though, looking back on it is we never really learned, we never learned how to read music. It was almost just like a sight read. Very, very, I mean, there was a lot of boys in the, in the choir. So it was really just like, we had to get to it, Yeah, you know? And, uh, but they wanted to send me and a bunch of other people to like Vienna, Austria to live with the Vienna boys choir. Wow. Like the best in the world. And I mean, I was at that point, I mean, I'll be real with you. I was, I was a 15 year old mama's boy and I did not want to leave mom. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be straight up with you. I love my mother and I was a little bit weary at such an age to go, go there. Yeah. You know, it was almost like an exchange program, but there was no exchange. We were going over there to study and sing. And I mean, it would have been a wonderful opportunity, but I don't I don't know how comfortable I would have been. Yeah. You know, so anyways, I quit the choir. My grandmother had an old guitar in her basement and uh, I begged her and begged her and begged her and begged her and begged her for that guitar. (laughs) And with the help of my dad, she said, you know, you can you know, let him have it, you know, so it's been sitting in that basement. And I had a really quirky science teacher in middle school. And this is like when like Napster and Livewire were around. Yeah. And uh, I had like um, a study period and I would go help him out. And this dude, Katie, he would just burn me CDs of like bangers from like <laughs> 60s, 70s and some of the most obscure stuff. Like, I mean, just daily, just disc after disc. <laughs> and uh, between him and like my family, it was like, and some other like teachers, it, it was a lot of really like cool rock and blues rock, like, you know, 
like classic rock, this psychedelic stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandparents listened to gospel, so it, it's, I had like a decent variety. And um, but the dude played music, this science teacher, and I told him about this guitar my grandmother gave me, and he was he, he's left-handed like I am, mm-hmm. and he switched the strings on the guitar. He said, "Here's E, here's A minor. Good luck." <laughs> nice. And uh, I just thought that was cool. I wrote every freaking thing I could with those two chords, had that capo on every fret you could think of trying to get a different sound. And then I just kept learning off people and I just kept like honing in. And, you know, I always like wanted to be a guitar player when I really got interested in music. But at the end of the day, I always have been a singer. And it's like the guitar playing and instruments, I feel like in a sense, you know, it's like, that I've had to practice like singing it's weird it's just like I if I open my mouth I was able to do it you know mm-hmm. I just had to hone it in and kind of control it better and you know different things like that but yeah and I just kept hustling around and uh my school you know got really really involved in high school like my my choir teacher I, I still talk to him today he's a great guy uh they're they're having a um reunion for our show choir (laughs) in may and uh they've asked me to go back and i'm like i don't know if i got the dancing in me anymore like back (laughs) in them days but yeah i was just i was embraced by teachers and my family and some really cool people but you know i i kind of always knew i had to kind of forge my own like do my thing and figure out my own way and you know so i was playing around Cincinnati and in that area quite a bit and attempted to to come to Nashville and it didn't work out and then finally I got kind of in some some unusual circumstances as a young people do within the music business with you know um putting your name on papers and you know different things like that and I kind of had to go disappear for a little bit so I moved uh south of Nashville and took some work doing like just, you know, audio, video, booking work, like kind of behind the scenes stuff while Mm -hmm. I honed in on some things and wrote. And then I managed to break free of that. And like 2015, I released like my first uh, couple of singles that were kind of doing pretty well independently for like blues, like see you again. And, um, and yeah, and, by by about 2015 I had kind of figured out enough to where I was like between my own music and figuring out how to market and promote and book gigs as well as you know like 2015 is when I built like my first cigar box guitar and I just was like you know what I can I can what I do and what my hands and my mind what I'm capable to do I can do that and give a service and give something good into the world and be able to make, you know, on my own terms for the most part. Right. Yeah. Like I'm a workaholic, but I don't need to be, you know what I mean? It's (laughs) like, you know, but I really enjoy doing it and do what I do. So that's kind of like a quick, you know, little deal about, you know, coming up and where it is and, you know, I could talk for days. I love to talk. So, <laughs> Well, I think it's important that, you know, you've built this life for yourself where you play music, which obviously is, you know, 
a soul currency, right? It's, it's good yeah. for the heart. But then, yeah. you know, you have bowl and box instruments and you're able to make a, you know, a side income aside from performing. And that's yeah. how you make your livelihood. And I mean, that's honestly, I think any creative, that's all we want is just to be able to live that life that allows us to be creative, to always, yeah. you know, be able to put our art out there. And I think that what you've done is a fantastic example of what so many creatives need to figure out how to do. Right. It's just yeah. figure out how to have a service that'll provide the basic income to, you know, pay your overhead and then the type of service that allows you to perform whenever you want and travel and, and tour. Yeah. I mean, you know, somebody told me a long time ago, like it comes down to like multiple revenue streams. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be an extremely creative person, which I really am, I mean, I'm sitting here making an RV a canvas, you know, I mean, right? <laughs> I make, I'm almost at 300 something new cigar box guitars over the last few years. Wow. And, you know, I'm just, I'm always fixing things. And I mean, um, I mean, I had a, we had a tour van for, for years, this big red GMC van mm-hmm. and uh, finally gave out on us at 325,000 miles. <laughs> And that, and I kept I kept the motor running. I did the work. You right. know what I mean? And it's like, um, but yeah, multiple revenue streams. Like if you are a creative type, find some other ways. Like, like with your merchandise. Like sometimes merchandise doesn't have to just be, you know, CDs and T-shirts. Right. You know, it can be like some weird painting you did. As long as you got ten of them, you'll probably sell some of them. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah and and i've i have i have peddled some of the strangest merchandise and i always like to talk to like people about that because it's unusual what people will buy especially if they need it what is the weirdest thing you've sold um i might have a list like i had temporary (laughs) tattoos i had temporary tattoos with me set on a park bench (laughs) playing the guitar that's awesome <laughs> i could i could probably send you a collection of people who had temporary tattoos of me sitting on a park bench <laughs> that was that was probably that was so small but so unusual that's you know awesome. and then lighters are a big popular one so that was always a thing like i would do like lighter bottle opener combos and people would be like oh i don't smoke and i'm like like fire is such a, uh, uh, you, you, you take it for granted every day. Right. You know, but I'm like, you got a lighter hidden in your prop, your purse, your pocket, something, you know, just, just in case. So, but the tat, that tattoos are were quite unusual and, you know, like, but you can go to the, the dollar tree, which is around here. It's a dollar 25 century now. Yeah. Um, you can go there and they, you know, you get some <clears throat> those blank candles. You can put your band sticker on those candles and then you've got a candle you could sell and, you know, you can invest in like a cricket. Like I, I bought the cricket and the whole press and everything. And now I'm doing all my own shirts, hats. I'm like doing etchings on pint glasses when I do like brewery gigs and stuff. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, that's been a pretty cool invest- investment. So yeah, I don't know if, the, if that's one thing that, like multiple revenue streams but if you're also like a killer guitar player you know like being a side man as a killer guitar player that's really awesome but you know 
if if you know you can fix cars too maybe you should be fixing your bass player and all the bass players you play with you know their cars you think you know it's like don't you can work for yourself and and build a life for yourself where you know you have everything that you need and if you want something or you want to go do something you can do it i mean there there are definitely people that you know live crazy lives i'm a little bit more simplistic person i've always i mean i make instruments out of garbage you know i mean and recycling but uh, i got a great life and if i want to do something or i want to go somewhere it's like it's cool to be you know say hey creativity and you know what you're doing is is doing that for you yeah yeah well and you know we had a um a business coach on the podcast not too long ago. And and this is exactly the model that, that she uses when she's helping her clients is to find that secondary income stream that fuels your art and allows you to be as creative as you want, allows you to travel and Mm -hmm. and tour and do all that stuff. So for everybody that's listening, Travis is living proof that that works. (laughs) It's, it's, you know, but never, but never, um, stop wanting more it's hard it's hard don't get don't just get safe yeah because then then you might think like oh man i could have done more i want to do more you know just keep doing your thing and if you feel like you're stumbling just keep moving forward it's very important if you do two things a day you've done you know it's 365 days in a year and if you do two things a day that's a lot of things and some people have done nothing right so you know that's yeah. good life advice right there man super good life yeah. advice. um so all right so since we're talking about your your uh cigar guitars and stuff like talk about your process so like you said that you make a lot of them out of recycled materials so how did you get into building cigar box guitars um so i'm uh couple of cats from a more traditional guitar company called music box they're out of cherry cherry hill new jersey okay and uh, they make these really funky uh have you ever seen um i can't remember what austin powers movie it was but you remember the one that had main t and it was like daddy was there in the band's plan and it's the one where he he meets his dad is that the spy who shagged what whichever one whether in that in that movie there's this like psychedelic 60s band playing this song right and my buddy he made all these those guitars that's oh, his, wow. the, that was his like first big major thing <laughs> so I just thought I just remembered them guitars from a kid, and I remember seeing them at NAMM as an adult and being like, "I I know where these are," and I hit it off really well with a guy, and ended up, you know, working out some endorsement stuff with him. I got a couple of really beautiful guitars uh, in my collection that I, I've used on plenty of recordings. Used to use I took one to Australia with me on tour a few years ago, and. Um, but anyways, I met a character from him named Shane Spiel. Now, Shane Spiel is like one of the our age generation. I mean, he's probably a few years older than I am, maybe maybe 15, 20 years older than I am. But mm-hmm. uh, like but one of the leading guys on cigar box guitar in the sense of, you know, this era. Yeah. And um, 
and he's been doing it for quite some time, but he was good friends with music Vox, those guitar guys. And he had a cigar box guitar man. And we got to chit chat and I kind of wanted one. And he was kind of like, man, just make one. And I kind of knew about it because some guy had made me something years and years ago, but it was more like, I have to show it to you someday. It's a whole, it's a whole other interesting project. But so I made one, I had some, some of these cardboard, not various 30 boxes. I went down to this local hardware store and I got like these, <clears throat> these posts. You'd probably put your tomato plants on. There's all bent <laughs> up and warped out. And uh, I put me some, you know, I didn't know anything about scale length. I made like, it was basically a baritone with three strings on it, played it with slide. And I was like, oh, that's fun. And I made a couple for friends and, you know, I just kept getting deeper and deeper into it. Then I would start like, well, hey, I'm going to, I would walk somewhere and I would see like old signs of like, hey, vote for so-and-so for, for whoever they'd be all, you know, down or something i'm like well hey that's a piece of wood i could use for a neck yeah so i go home or you know and then i just got down this rabbit hole of making these instruments and when i first started they were all real like what i would consider like uh primitive you know what's true to that instrument the cigar box guitar is a rough history is an instrument that comes from west africa from an instrument called the diddly bow Okay. And the diddly bow was a basically a one string instrument on a piece of wood with two points that would act as your, your bridge and your nut. And you would, you would hit it with two sticks. So you'd have like a droning percussive, you know, like, you know, kind of that kind of noise. And you'd give it to your kids and like West Average, like, Hey, here, keep yourself occupied. Put like a bailing wire on. Right. And uh, well, fast forward to like you know rural south and people were doing that instead of dong 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 what they do they put a coke bottle on there and they could slide it and you'd get like a slide whistle so you need that like a one slide guitar one string slide guitar yeah and then people were like well if i put uh uh a broomstick through a hat box and put a wing nut on it and a couple of bottles. Then I got like a one string, like guitar thing and it resonates from the box. And then people would put like a one inch by half inch piece of wood and put three strings on it. Then you could tune it to a chord and, you know, muddy waters and all these cats, you know, had cigar box guitars and diddly bows and, you know, then, muddy waters moved to Chicago and then an electric guitar. It's history. You know, I mean, it's and but what I was doing in the beginning when I started was, was very much keeping them to that that um that primitive kind of level, and I had a price point that I like never changed ever. Mm-hmm. And then I got to where I was making a bunch, making a bunch, making a bunch, and then like I was working on releasing uh that that record that second record and uh i really didn't have the time to just make a bunch of sure so i shifted more to a custom order thing to where i was like i've got a one string diddly bow that like you can play but it's like recycled art you know what i mean and then i was like i got a three string version of that that you can at least you can plug in it's got a piezo pickup those are like 
you know, the people who are like novice who like want something to hang that plays. And then I have instruments that are like more for a professional musician. And, you know, I mean, I have price specs and that's down to, you know, a real uh, two piece neck with a tress rod into a mahogany base into a cigar box with a custom paint job. Some of the best pickups I can get body through bridge, locking tuners, bone nuts, you know, the whole nine. Yeah. So, but that's, I had to learn that, you know, I definitely didn't know that in the beginning. You learn that. Yeah. So that's, yeah. That's awesome. That's all I know. That's all I know. It's all the trade secrets I'm giving out. Those of us who uh, who have never played a cigar box, I'm fascinated. I've never played one. Uh, I wouldn't even know where to begin, honestly. So, and real quick, uh, in a three string, it's tuned to an open chord. So that's like, really, you got one chord down mm-hmm. in a sense. So, hypothetically, if you put your finger everywhere over each fret, you're getting a new chord. So that's I right. can teach kids how to play the blues and like not even 15 minutes because you know you just say all right we're gonna we're gonna chug it open you know that's our one chord and then if you go to the fifth fret with one that's you know our four Mm -hmm. and then we're gonna strum open and then we're gonna go up to this you know fret here to seven we're gonna go back to the five and then open again and then you wouldn't believe like the young and old people who get that part now that's really the fundamental sure you know it's that's that's pretty that's pretty basic but then you know you give them that little chuggle you say now you're taking your index finger and i want you to go on the, you know the second fret in the middle string when we're doing the open chord i want you to, uh, 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 uh. now when they get to that part <laughs> then you kind of see them start to play a little bit they're like they you know because that lick is so like a famous little you know thing that's like you know they're like oh okay i could sing i could actually sing something with this you know <laughs> so the slide is another thing but you know then you can teach them well hey if you're doing that you take this slide and you go up on the 12 real quick you know you get just a little something different and you know it just keeps snowballing and there's some guys out there like 
I love to build and play them, but there's, you know, a couple of guys who build, you know, a bunch of guys who build way more, you know, phenomenal instruments, but that's what they're doing. You right. know, they're, there are guys like that. And then there's only a few of us really who build and play, mm-hmm. you know, and go do the festivals and things like that. So, but there's plenty of them. I've been, I've been to cigar box. I went uh, for a recycled instrument festival over in Iceland. Oh, wow. Um, I did a class. I had like, I don't know, what was it? 20 or 30 some people. I did a class in Australia. I went to like all their thrift stores, man, and I found every wood-looking box I could find. I had tissue boxes, I had cigar boxes, I had. It was a little bit of a cluster, if I you want me to be real with you. <laughs> and uh, the I the only thing I had brought from the states was all the actual guitar hardware, which I'm thankful I did. Right. And uh, so. I was like, after I found all these wooden boxes and uh, a wood shop offered me to use it, they offered me to do a class. And I was like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was so much time hunting down all them boxes. And finally, when it was time to get next down, I just was like, I just went straight to the hardware store. Didn't even think twice. I, I was like, I need, I need 30 necks for a rake. (laughs) <laughs> I just was like, I, I was like, I'm not even hunting down. I just, it was because so, cigar boxes aren't like they're like, they have such a, a like, no, no on smoking over there mm-hmm. that, you know, cigars, like the boxes, you don't even always get the box. Sometimes they'll just be wrapped up in like a shrink wrap plastic and shipped. Right. And so, or you get boxes and they're just completely blank and they'll have like surgeon general warning. If you smoke cigars, your foot will rot off. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm serious. I'm, t- I'm serious. So, to, you know, like there's a market to send boxes over there. These guys want to build these things, you know, there's somebody out there listening, but yeah, so that's, that's, that's a lot. The cigar box guitar is an amazing rabbit hole. And if you want to build anything, I suggest if anybody's listening, if you want to get into it, um, some people to check out would be like um, MGB guitars and suppliers and um, as well as CB Giddy guitars. Both of those guys are like the leading companies for pieces and parts um, to make these guitars and then. Um, I always suggest like after you build your first one and you, you know, you get that, like where everything you're like, I can turn that into a guitar. Oh, that looks like it could be a bass. When you get that and you're, you know, you want to start upgrading stuff, then you can go like reach out to like lace pickups. They got like a special matchbook pickup that I've used exclusively in a lot of my builds. So there, there are ways to like, if you, if you just want to make one, but you, you don't necessarily like, you're not looking at like a, a tree that fell down. You're like, hmm, I, how do I turn that into a neck? You know, if that's not, <laughs> if that's not your thing and you want like, you know, you want it like already to be a neck. It, yeah. You can get that. Those guys will help you out because it's very fun and it's, they're very interesting to play. And a lot of people who like might have like hand issues who can't cord mm-hmm. can play the heck out of the slot. Yeah. And you already got it tuned to one chord, so it's like very easy. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool, man. All right. Well, uh, so let's let's talk about 
some of the the music that you are working on right now. So, um, you know, I I absolutely loved your your 2018 album Secundus, man. That was that was a cool album and I it got a lot of awesome, you know, chart, you know, like attention yeah. like you know you hit top 10 on a lot of the um the blues charts and stuff but um i'm really stoked to know like what you're working on now and and i know there's a story here so yeah, yeah we <laughs> talked about it earlier a little bit so oh i've been messing with with looping live by when i do my solo shows for a number of years and it you know it started with like you know you'd I'd loop a cigar box or a guitar. Like I play a three string and a six string cigar box guitar, as well as a U bass cool. cigar box guitar. Um, so I would, I spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to be one man, but be loud and be one man band because I always, I, I mean, that's cool. It's cool. And um, so I went through a bunch of different phases and pieces of equipment and, uh, a couple of years ago, I came across this pedal called the uh, Digitech Trio pedal. I don't know if you're familiar with this thing. Uh, so, I think I've seen it. I've never used one. Yeah, this thing is crazy and crazy overpriced, but not really because <laughs> it does so much. I'm, I haven't even tapped into it. I shouldn't say that, but because I found it, I got it on eBay. I never never pay retail people if you're a musician. <laughs> never. You know, save a buck. Save a buck unless it's got a good warranty. Um, but I got this um, pedal and what you do is I'll have the guitar going and I'll be like, I'll play like the bass lick on, on the guitar, like real simple. And it listens to the rhythm and the notes. And then it'll send me a bass player and a drummer to match that. Oh, wow. And they're real guys. It's all real. It was like Digitech mixed with band in a box. It was all real people. It was all real guys in there. It was just digitally frequency and time. It's crazy. And it had like 12 genres. And there was like all these uh, subsets of the genres. So you'd get like different grooves. And I basically had, you know, three or four hours figured out with this pedal. So there was no like not too much in between time. I would just be like, turn the knob, hit the pedal send it you know do it and uh but the thing is i i would get home and i would mess with this pedal and i would be writing some nasty funky jams with this thing (laughs) to where it was like i'd get in a couple little like couple of chords or something and i'd hit it and i'd dial it in i'd be like i would just write something so i practically wrote most of this whole record with with grooving with this pedal because it's it's not only is it something cool to use out out live, but it's something really cool to use for a songwriting and a practicing tool. Oh yeah. You know? So the record's looking to be called uh, "Hooks and Grooves" because that's all I cared about when I wrote the song was the hooks and the grooves. Mm-hmm. And um, I, there's a couple of songs that I'm still working on. A couple years ago, I lost a good friend of mine, Herb Baron, who played harmonica for me, and uh, I've been trying to work out a tribute to him in some way musically and um uh i went back and forth on what i was going to do and i just um you know put harmonica i've been working on a harmonica myself he played harmonica for me for years so i've been working on it and i 
I just finished a song recently with a gentleman. I got harmonica that I put down. And then I'm actually trying to work on a song dedicated to her to try to finish this record out. That's a more um, like, like kind of like a rubber band man, but it's a harmonica man type, of, <laughs> you know, type yeah. of tune. And, uh, but the record, so this pedal and everything was cool. It inspired me a lot, but um, I kind of advanced to, you know, now I play a rhythm track, loop it. This is all live. I get the U bass, I lay a bass line record it and then i've got like a six pad drum pad mm-hmm. and then i'll lay the drums and then the, you know the guys are in there kicking and it's a lot more of a show than just using that pedal sure so and for years i've been able to play number of instruments and i feel like i'm able to actually show it off but i was like i want to do a record you know i was like let's do a record like this and uh so i went where i recorded the last record here in nashville and started recording my follow-up project and uh got quite a few things tracked i think i think i got i know i at least got a quarter of it like mixed and ready to go and then i think there were like two other songs that we had started mm-hmm. and uh nathan smith love the man to death engineered my last record uh you know got offered a, a really cool job musically in Florida. And it was kind of like a offer he couldn't refuse. And, you know, he's like, but we'll figure out the record. And it's just been a little bit hard to get down there when I'm down there, you know, it's, it's only for a week or two and trying to finish a record when I was recording all the parts is is like four times the time. Right. And uh, so I was like, well, I've got the quarter of these songs done. And then um, I started, you know, snooping around on, you know, it's probably it's probably best that I find a new home studio in town, sure. you know, because I hate I mean, who, who musicians don't don't always like change. You know, yeah. we kind of <laughs> like to do our thing. We like to be in control. We're like, you know, quirky. And uh, I was like, darn, I'm going to have to find one. And uh uh, I've been talking with with some folks uh, who have a studio, and as well as all the folks who play in the the band at the studio are all a band of people who play in the blues community and play together all the time. So I think we're going to get some dates in, and and I haven't decided if I'm going to just re-record those three songs mm-hmm. or just go with the next three. Right. Um, because I feel like efficiency wise, like I could always record those songs again and then just put those other three on that record as something that's like, you know, a bonus deal, like listen to, you know, <laughs> play everything, you know, because they, they sound cool. They really do. It's just it was time and getting down there. And I mean, I keep a, such a busy tour schedule, too. Yeah. You know, and it's it's almost like if you. <clears throat> It really is easier to if you go in on a Tuesday and all the bands in there and you're like, all right, we're doing three songs in four days. You got a record track. Right. You know. So, yeah, it's a lot different when you're when you're doing all that work yourself. Um, I I hear you. I actually I did the same thing in 2017. I put out an yeah. EP. It was I, I performed and recorded all the instruments and I had a producer engineer that was phenomenal. And um 
but it's a lot and I can't I can't even begin to to think about like if I did that via like a loop or two because I, I loop as well I've got the yeah. I've got, I just got the helix uh floorboard and how many inputs do you have on that so it, there's quite a few there's mm-hmm. actually there's there's two XLR uh I think inputs and, and then what's great is you can send it out stereo as well. And then with um, like, you know, there's guitar input, there's an aux input. So there's, there's quite a few and there's, you know, returns and sends and things on it. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to, I'm, <clears throat> I'm shopped around for what, what big, big, big one I want. Like, you know, I mean, I'm now running three instruments and I'd like to throw in a mic, you know, I want to, and I want to have a little more separation. So I'm actually been asking a lot of questions on what, you know, what to get bigger ones, you know, people are going with because for, you know, yeah, just out of curiosity. Well, you know, for me, it was between the Helix and the head rush. Now the yeah. head rush looper is probably more like, it's probably more what you want so that you can have all of those instruments. There's multiple inputs on that, but for the helix, I got the helix mainly because, um, I started doing so many shows down in Nashville and I needed, I needed more guitar tones to play with as a lead guitar player. I just, I needed more versatility. So as far as like the amp tones and, and effects tones you can get on the helix, they're incredible. However, the looper is not nearly as powerful as the head rush. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. So like if I was if I was doing just more solo stuff, I probably would have a head rush so that I could loop as many as I wanted to. But I'm having getting a head rush talking about this. I know. (laughs) Those bigger ones get so complicated, man. Like, oh my goodness. Yep. It's a little intimidating. It it is intimidating. I had the the boss RC three hundred for like Yeah five years six years and it took me a full year before i really felt confident about what the hell i was doing with that damn thing well there's a guy that what what the new one is this is a new one 600 it's like the super digitally one uh the newer boss when i watched a guy like he was in his in, in home studio and i mean dude got it not even 20 25 seconds into the song and i was like i don't even know what you're what but how this is how this happened how right. did we get this far <laughs> <laughs> how did we get here yeah yeah uh, that's hilarious yeah yeah because i i was running a lot of that that digitech stuff just because some friends had it but then uh may kind of turned me on to try out some of the boss stuff so mm-hmm. i've got just the the I think I got a two input and a three or something. I got a couple of different ones. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm just thinking I need to get something that I can have everything, but right. that's another rabbit hole. And that's a, that's a very long rabbit hole. And sometime we should hang out and go down that rabbit yeah. hole over a couple of beers yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause yeah. I, I can take a time about that stuff all the time. Ta- that's your other podcast. Uh, that's right. <laughs> With a Z at the end, like all the cool 90s companies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Uh, uh, all right, man. So, you know, I don't know if you have a projected date for this album, but if you do, can you tell me what it would be? If if I could get uh, 
a first date into this new studio in the next couple of weeks. I mean, I would push to have this out. I don't know. All right. If I give myself deadlines, then I definitely have to give it get it done. So, right. <laughs> but I wouldn't I wouldn't see anything. I, I can't really foresee anything until next year, if gotcha. spring, if anything, because I got plenty of other stuff to do. I mean, I'm 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 pretty close to being booked five days a week every week. So you that's know, crazy. Pretty close. I'm gonna reach out to your friends up there. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Dale and Tanya, Dalton I, Union. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I, I, I'm gonna reach out to them. I'd send her a friend request. I just, my life and my love and hobby and things and passion is all music. But you know, I have like a couple other little ones. And you know, when I get those two days off on the road, it's like you do the other stuff that you might not consider work. Yep. And uh, do your laundry. Yeah. And uh, answer your emails. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like it's so crazy when you when you start living your life by one of these things, like, you know, when, when your life starts this, Oh like, my God. You're like, All right. So Monday, the ninth is the only day this month. I'll be able to do laundry. So I just better buy more clothes. That oh my gosh. The life uh, of a, of a touring musician. God, that's hilarious. <laughs> I yeah. have one day this month where I actually get to wash my underwear. <laughs> it's yeah. Monday the night. Don't anybody bug me. <laughs> Whose underwear are these? No, I'm just kidding. I'm, kidding. I'm so kidding. I'm so kidding. Hey, man, what happens that, that, on the road? Well, that only happens when you go out with other people. You always end up with somebody else. Somebody ends up with maybe a little something of yours. Like, or you end up. I read this book years ago and. It was a real, like, intimidating book, but the one thing I remember from it was, like, a guide for touring artists, and, like, I do remember this, like, forward the guy had in the beginning. He was, like, it took me a year on the road uh, before I didn't uh, forget something or whatever. He says, it gets pretty old when you got you come home and you've got 16 toothpastes because <laughs> you got on a road. And and I, I do pride myself on being pretty much prepared. <laughs> but I always remember that. That book was, there was a lot in that book, but I remember that guy complaining about the 16 toothpaste and remembering <laughs> stuff on the road. He's like, stuff's going to happen, right. but having your stuff's important. You know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Since we're talking about road stories, can you, like, I'm sure you've got a bunch of crazy stories, but can you give us, like, one really crazy story that happened to you on the road? So last time I went to Australia, um, me and Herb went along, and I had booked us 32 shows in 40 days. Holy crap. In another country, and I do everything. You know, I mean, I have people help me over there, but it's like they don't work for me. They're just like me calling you and saying, hey, can you help me be a middle person for this gig? Or, hey, can I come be on your podcast while I'm in Australia? Well, this festival did the work visas for us, because mm-hmm. that's one thing when you go to other countries, like <clears throat> it's not that hard to go into other countries, like for any artists going out there, like you need to look up like a couple of things. Like there's a list of countries that you do not need any special visas or anything to go to because they're on a list with the U S that's like open. Mm-hmm. And 
then there are countries where if you want to work, you have to have a work visa. And usually that should be sponsored by somebody. It can be an employer. And usually, like, if you can get booked in at a festival in a country that needs that, you can almost try to talk them into getting you the visa. Gotcha. So when I was in Australia, they got me the visa. Everything's cool. I mean, I had, Katie, I had a poster up forever talking about we're doing 40 days and 40 nights in Australia. And, you know, I mean, it was like, I wasn't hiding it from nobody, but they, when they put in the work visa, they didn't put it for the long enough time. Oh no. So we, me and her, he's, you know, an older gentleman and I, he needed a wheelchair to get him to the airport, which is kind of a good idea because it really helped us get through a lot of stuff. Bless his heart. Mm -hmm. Um, but we got stopped and they were like eyeballing us and they're like, what's your business here? And all this, like asking us all this stuff. And uh, I was like, look, we've been on tour. We're blues musicians from America. I said, I'm sorry they filled that out wrong. I said, but publicly and openly, I have not hid at all how long I was here and what I was doing here. Right. And the guy like looks at Herb, like Herb's looking pitiful, like in his wheel, like he's he's playing the part up well. <laughs> and uh, the guy looks at me and he says, The next time you visit my beautiful country, you leave when you're supposed to, you get the appropriate visa. And we went straight to the bathroom and then went right on the plane. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> And that was probably one that made me extra nervous because I mean I'm it's uh, I'm a blues man so like every third week out of the month I have the worst luck so I, I've had some but that one made me I was like oh my god please don't keep us here please I would right. I would you would see a grizzly bear man cry <laughs> I like, I mean yeah so that one was that's probably the most the one that's the most like. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like that one. I got plenty of other ones that, that are unusual, but they're probably more for, you know, other circumstances. Sure. No, I hear you, man. Those customs agents, they're uh, they're not one to be trifled with. You know, it was was funny, like when I went to England, I had no problem. Yeah. I had no problem getting into the country. And like, I mean, I had my guitar on my back and everything. And, you know, the guy was just like, well, are you famous? And I'm like, no. And he goes, well, would I have heard your music? And I'm like, probably not. And he goes, okay, enjoy your time. You know, that was, and I mean, I was just there for fun. I wasn't, I wasn't get paid yeah. to do nothing. So I didn't have to have a work visa, but then trying to come back into the States, I walk in and I've got the guitar on my back and, you know, I mean, I'm an un- unassuming short woman, right? Like yeah. I, I don't look like I'm going to cause trouble, but for some reason, this customs agent just singled me out and he was just like, you over there. And I'm like, yes, sir. Okay. And like, he looks at this other dude and he goes, search her. And I'm like, Jesus, you know, like I don't yeah. have anything. I'm not peddling shit. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> and, they and, always stop me. I always get stopped. <laughs> Never fail. Six, four, 230 pounds. This guy, he's a threat. <laughs> right. He's a threat. 
Well, anyway, it was funny because the the agent that was actually searching me, he he he's just like, "Ma'am, take the guitar off your back, put it on the table." And I said, "Okay." And I unzipped it. He picks it. He picks it up out of the case and goes, "You're good." And then just puts it back in and lets me go. I'm like, "All right." Apparently, I look like I'm peddling drugs. Cool. <laughs> Contraband in your sound hole. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I had like a, a Johnny Cash moment for a second. Well, that cigar box guitar one time going through the plane because it's semi-hollow, so it's got hollow chambers on the side. Right. And they x-rayed it, and I was like, dude, it's a guitar. Get get your head out of your butt. Right. You know, like it's clear. I play you a song on it right now. I can't even open it up, you know. but i yeah that was that was a pretty scary one coming back from australia because i didn't want to get i love the place but i didn't want to be i was ready to be home right sure so oh man well good times man well travis thanks again for being on the show today i had a blast with you you. you're always a good hang cool you too man i uh may you know i play a bunch of gigs with meg williams another great blues artist and y'all play together all the time and she's always saying great things about you and you do rock i i, I was sad because uh i went out there to one of those uh women nights out there at the the city winery and it was i think one night you weren't there so i was like well dang <laughs> but i'll catch you again yeah I'm for sure. sure i'll be i'll be back in town probably in june so we'll have to we'll uh, have to hang out yeah for sure for sure most definitely all right man Right, Travis, thank you so much, man. It was a pleasure. Like I said before, you're always a good hang. Always have a great time with you. Make sure that you check out Travis's links in the show notes. Give him a little bit of love. Go look at his Facebook and watch his project with his uh, his house on wheels. It's super cool. So thanks again, everybody. Make sure that you like and subscribe to Paradox Jukebox. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you have a moment. It would really mean a lot. It helps us out. And please also make sure that you share the podcast with everybody. So the more shares that we get, 
the more our audience grows and the more we can help these independent artists get their music out there. So thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time.